kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm here like joined, like always, with Carlo. Good morning. Today we have a, with us someone really great, great American, James Galliano. Am I pronouncing it? I'm Italian. I, I can't even pronounce my own name. James Galliano. James was a long-time uh, uh, distinguished career with the FBI and now a law enforcement analyst for CNN was that Communist News Network? No. Uh, he didn't make he didn't make Fox, obviously. So he went to the Communist Network, as well as a professor at St. John's University. James, welcome and thank you for coming in. We've had some very great guests, and you're one of a great guest. And we have a lot of friends, a lot of mutual friends. We do. And we were just talking before we went on the air. Before we go into your background, uh, one of my drinking partners up in the lanes. Uh, guy named John, who was killed by uh, uh, bin Laden, but not over there. He was killed in a roundabout way here in uh, the World Trade Center. I stood on the deck of the listing USS Cole back in 2000 with Mr. O'Neill, have have great respect and affinity for him. He was an amazing, amazing guy. John O'Neill was involved with Tommy Nicoletti and a couple other agents. They were investigating. They knew about bin Laden. They had him zeroed in and then shake and bake the attorney general. What was her name, shake and bake? Janet Reno. Janet Reno wouldn't let him uh, hellfire missile the son of a bitch out. They had him pinpointed. They were doing the investigation in Pakistan when they had the four Americans killed. They were involved with the uh, embassy bombings and also the coal. And they knew it was Abadabadu bin Laden. And Janet Reno would not. She's the same Janet Reno that... Excuse my language. That fucked up uh, that uh, whole thing with the divinity. Waco. Waco. She screwed that whole thing up. And uh, she was the person most likely to be the one that supported bin Laden for the attack on the World Trade Center. Because she could eliminate this piece of shit a long time in coming. She's one of the defunctation attorney generals. And that's the way I feel about her. Yeah, I, uh, I I did serve under Attorney General uh, Reno when uh, I was on the hostage rescue team. So mm. that was during that period of time. Very tough time during the 90s where we were trying to sort things out. But uh, I, I hear your point. I don't think any of us in the United States took bin Laden seriously. John yeah. O'Neill did, of course. John O'Neill did, and then bin Laden came to America yeah. in a roundabout way and killed my friend John O'Neill in the uh, World Trade Center. John used to be my drinking buddy up in the lanes and we we bent our we bent our uh, our drinks over the bar many night we closed that place up at four o'clock in the morning and then tommy nicoletti was another one of my dear friends and one of my really good friends was the assistant director of the fbi in the new york office was jim fox james fox and he was involved with you with uh, we're going to talk about some of your history with my little friend there sammy the rat gravano and uh, you know the cooperating witness uh, like i just said sammy the rat Gravano, they killed 19 people and was able to, you guys gave him a million dollars. Were you the guy that boxed with him in the air? Fox did. told me about you. I did. Yeah, you know, truly, I, I I'm getting the chills. I was a young kid at the time. Because Jim he was Fox 40. told me that, you know, they, they were there and I said, Jimmy, this 
this scumbag. I says, he's a freaking rat. He killed 19 people. You go, we can't get any cooperating uh, uh, evidence other than him ratting out. And then they gave him, you guys gave him a million dollars too. After he was, uh, is that true? Come on. I don't know about a million he was, dollars. He was able to he keep a million. Years. No, initially. And he went into the witness protection wait, program. He, way back up. Way back up. Are you sure he did any time? I am. Because I actually, I actually visited him while he was in federal protection. I custody. understood that he didn't do any jail time, and he was able to keep a million dollars in his construction business. Never heard anything about the million dollars, Bo, but I do know that he did five years. And people have argued and said 19 bodies. How do you get away with five years? But it's one of those kind of things. You have to, you have to move up. You have to get people underneath to go after the big criminal enterprise folks. I don't feel that way. I know you don't. Listen, I'm a detective my whole life. I know you. And don't. I don't like scumbag rats. I know. Because he was up to his ass in that. And when it got too hot in the kitchen, he became like a fresh flounder in a frying pan and flipped. And you want to know something? I met him. I met Sammy a couple of times. I'll tell the story. They had a restaurant over on York Avenue. Come on, you got to know. Johnny owned it, but it was really Gotti. Johnny got the, the racehorse guy owned it, but Gotti was there with Sammy. Come on, you must have had Sammy's was Terraminas. No, they had Sammy. Uh, Sammy Gravano was up there. I went to have dinner with John Gotti because I knew I grew up with John Gotti when I was retired. When Ozone Park, when Ozone I was Park, when right. I was retired, I retired in '85, and then around '87, '88. Before Johnny got Gotti got locked up, I used to go to La Campionella, uh, Campionella, uh, Camellia, La Camellia Restaurant, Fifty Eighth Street, and that's when I ran into Johnny again. And I was always called Bo the Cop. And the first time I met Sammy Gravano, you know, all of a sudden he's looking at me, I'm looking at him. I didn't like him, but Johnny said, oh, this Bo the Cop for the neighborhood, you know, you got the guys who raped the nun, and uh, he's our guy, our guy in a sense, not that I do anything for him, but respectfully to me, like mm -hmm. Fat Tony respected me. Uh, all the guys did, because I never worked in organized crime. I worked for the street scumbags that were murdering, robbing people on the streets. I wouldn't work in organized crime, because I knew everybody. So how could I have dinner with somebody and then lock them up? So now, all of a sudden, the restaurant was called uh, oh it was on york avenue and i'll never forget i go up there and i was gonna have dinner with Gotti, and who i'm at the bar and sammy gravano was there he's looking across the bar at me i'm on one end he's in the other end and under his breath he mumbled something about effing cop what's the effing cop doing in here the bar to the bartender and i said you talking to me you got a problem i said fuck you back right back to him and we almost we almost got into it and then who was walking in johnny Gotti. hey bo i says who's this fucking guy meaning sammy gravani he goes hey sammy this is bo the cop he's my friend from since we've been kids together make a long story short i didn't like him then and i should have realized he was going to be a rat anyway so that's it Rat Sammy Gravano, you're a witness. Okay, let's talk about you. More important, I'm not going to negativize you right now for that. You know my because I worked are... organized crime. And right. I'm Sicilian. Well, I'm Sicilian too. My mother's born but in Catania. I'm from the deep south. You're from New York. Catania. And... My mother's sure. born in Catania. So you went to West Point. I did. Go ahead. You went to West Point, and then uh, you, after you got out of West Point, well, you went into the military. 
I spent four years in the Army as an infantry officer with the 10th Mountain Division in upstate New York, up at Fort Okay, Trump. yeah. Great. During the height of the Cold War, though. The Cold War. Great group up there. Yes. The Mountain Division, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that were up there. And then you joined the FBI in 91. February of 1991, I had nine days between leaving the Army and entering the FBI. So talk about your careers in the FBI. Where did you first go? Did you initially go right into organized crime? Because you remember my other two friends. I brought them on IMUS in 1986, 87. Nope, yep. They wrote the book, uh, Boss of Bosses. Uh, you're talking about Andy Kearns? Kearns and, and the fellow from upstate. Yeah, uh, Joe. Joe O'Brien. 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 Good Boss friends. of Bosses, they wrote. Bro, my friends, I brought them on IMUS in the morning, the radio yeah. show, and IMUS told me don't ever bring them back because they were on there and he's asking questions and they were there like, nope, yup, nope. And that was the answers to all the questions. Uh, yeah, they were good guys. And Currens and them, they worked on the Gambino squad, I think. They were on C-16, which was the Gambino squad. You're correct. Yeah. In the Brooklyn, Queens, Metropolitan RA on, in Regal Park Regal at the Park, time. Regal Park, Queens 95, Boulevard. 25 Queens Boulevard. Yeah. That's where I went. They had both already left the FBI when I got there. Yeah, because they retired because I had them on the show on IMS in probably 86, 7 88, no later than 88, uh, they were on the show with me. I brought them on the show, and they wrote that book. And then Andy went into the private thing, and I think Andy did pretty good. Yep. Joe I talked to over the years. And after that book came out, The Boss of Bosses, I don't know how well it did, but uh, it was all about the Gambino family and all that. I had about Castellano and all getting whacked by Johnny Boy. And uh, your friend Sammy, wasn't he involved with that? He Come might on. have been. Spark Come Steakhouse, on. You don't even want to give him up no, yet? No, no, I'm... I, I come on, come on. No, no, I completely understand. But Who you, whacked them, the Martians? Come on. No, no. There was come on, we're, guys, we've been five, retired. Five guys, they were in camel hair coats, they were wearing Russian type One guy hats. was little, I heard. One guy was little. Yeah. Yes. Could well, that have been Sammy? Little in stature, but he was a he was Like a, a bull, guy. huh? Like a bull. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that. The, the, the tale goes, my friend Pete Christensen was a detective that was one of the original investigators in front of Sparks. They didn't even let Castellano and Bellotti have their friggin' dinner. I mean, at least, at least let them eat before you whack them. They whacked them before they even could have their steak. That's a little, a little out of order. What do you think? A little out of order? Oh, you got to get them when you got to get them. Oh, come on. You let them eat, Carlo. It works. Hey, yeah. You got to let them eat. But, uh, didn't do it at home. Didn't do it in front of family. Did it while they were on their way to a dinner meeting. At least they could have had dinner. Come on. Well, Sparks right. is a good it's a restaurant. Yeah, still is. It still we go is. there. We go there quite often. Quite is it often. to die for? Yeah, to uh, die for. Well done. <laughs> So, so, you know, we, we touch upon, you know, as a kid, I grew up in Oldsville Park. I grew up with Scopos. Uh, Joey Scopo was machine gun before he came on, the, before he actually came on the job. He was in the middle of that war, the, uh, uh, the Colombo War there with the, uh, uh, what's the two, Arena and, uh, what was the other? Persico. Persico Arena. Carmine Persico, the Yeah, snake. they killed about, 75 guys, including my friend Joey Scopo, who I grew Scopo. up with, Larry Jr., the father was my friend. So what happens is, as a kid growing up, I hung out with them. And people don't realize in the early 60s, we had a major heroin problem with the Italian kids. I know 10 kids in 62, 3, 4 that died of overdoses. They were shooting heroin like crazy. And I was one of the only kids in the neighborhood. 
I was in really great shape. We were national champions. I was built like a bitch shit house. So I used to be able to come up to Ralph Scopo, the father's house, to have veal cutlets and broccoli rub on oh, Thursday wow. nights. And the father took a liking to me because I was the only kid who wore short sleeve shirts because I didn't have any tracks on my arms. And uh, so that's how I got to know the father. Then he got me into the construction business. And then I worked as a laborer first and an iron worker on the World Trade Center. But I always stayed closed. And then finally, I took the cop test. I didn't want to go on. And then Ralph Scopo, the father, says, you can't come into the club anymore. I said, why can't I come into the I really didn't realize who, what, where. I just liked them. They were like my family. It was like my second father. He goes, you don't even know what we do, Bo. He goes, you can't come in here as a cop. And I kind of stayed away, but I had driven him up to uh, the Colonial up in East Harlem. I met Fat Tony when I was young and Buckalo and Vince Cafara, the ratfish. He became a rat also. We don't call them rats. We call them cooperating witnesses. But he used to, I I guess I was a little corrupt too, Carlo, because he used to give me fireworks on 4th of July. He would give me garbage bags and fireworks, but I never did anything for him. So that's not really bribery, right? If he, unlawful gratuity, probably, I did that because he used to give me fireworks. And that was it. Nothing in return. So, I mean, I was one of those guys that was really a straight guy. I've never been involved in any corruption like that. But I always had the respect. Then when they raped the nun, my partner, Tommy Colleran, and I, on our own, locked those two scumbags up. And we always had a respect from the people on yeah. that side. And to this day, I know all of them. And there's a respect factor. And it, it's nice. And you know what? I'm not a... R-A-T, you know, because once you become a cheese eater, no one can trust you, you know? I do, but I, I, have, to, I have to agree with you. The, the Italian organized crime, La Cosa Nostra, in New York City and beyond, they respect cops. They're like, you do your job. You've got your job to do. We do things our way. And that was one thing. They never, ever wanted to screw with a cop. They never, ever wanted to go after a fed because they understood. Joe Coffey was my uh, Joe Coffey, first sergeant. Sure. Yep. God rest his soul. Joe was a great famous, guy. Famous cop. Yeah, yeah, he used to go against Gotti there, and they had a little something going on back. Johnny Miller, when he was a reporter, used to go right at the Johnny's face. John all the used to show up during the 1992 <laughs> John Gotti, Frankie Lacasio, Sammy the Bull Gravano trial. John Miller would show up with a microphone. Yeah. Now it's like he's in charge of counterintelligence. <laughs> And, and the intelligence division. Well, he went I'm through sorry. the academy. Counterterrorism. He, he went through the academy in Los Angeles. He was over, I think, at 45 years old when he yeah. went through the academy. He used to show up on scenes up in Harlem when I was a detective and a cop up there. And he used to show up standing in the blood. And he, hey, Bo, what do you got? I said, I got you standing in the freaking blood. I said, you know, can you step one of the crime scene? <laughs> but John's a great guy. You know, he has the, he actually had, was the only one, the last one to interview Bin Laden in the freaking cave. Yeah, yeah in he, Afghanistan. He got, yeah, he got that yeah. in, in Toro, Toro, Boriello, whatever it's yep. called, right? Yeah, but let's talk more about you. This is important. So once you came in, did you go immediately to organized crime? So my first assignment coming out of Quantico, I, I, I arrived in New York in May when James Fox, who you knew, was the assistant director of the New York yeah. office. And I was lucky and blessed. I mean, I knew I grew up in the Deep South. You can't tell from my accent because I spent most of my life in New York and working in New York City. But I was sent to the Queen's resident agency for the FBI, and that's where we have NYPD FBI task forces for organized crime and drugs. So I was there. I worked 
The the Gambino squad, which you talked about, yeah. which Andy Kearns and Joe Bryan were on, C-16, they were already gone, but I was assigned to that squad. The thing that I was lucky about, because it was just timing, it wasn't because I was a super agent. I'd just gotten there, and obviously the John Gotti case had just gotten taken down in December of 1990. So it I get fresh. Yeah. fresh. They're in jail, right? So I get there, and a few months after I get there, Sammy the Bull turned state's evidence. That's how we say it, Bo. Flipped. He turned state's evidence, and I was given an unbelievable opportunity to go down to to a, a special safe house we had down south for him and live did with you him. bring cheese with you i did not bring cheese but oh. i can tell you we made italian food there he, he's a great cook i'll tell you oh, that so, so you got to choose your friends a little uh, bit more selectively look i look we can't especially on the federal side and i know that the state and local it's yeah. a little bit different but you had cooperating witnesses you had people you talked to on the street a cop an agent a state trooper you cannot do your job without help from the public you can't. Well, you know that. I used, to, I used to, honestly, I cannot remember using a scumbag as a cooperating witness. Some cooperating witness had a little bit of problems, but no a out. A little colorful out. background? Yeah, a little colorful, but well, no, not 19 freaking murders, But Jim. you're not going to find Mother Teresa that's out drinking with the boys and witnessing that stuff. You're going to find people that are doing the same thing. Yeah, but you had, them, you had them on the tapes. You had them on the tapes. Had them on the tapes, but the I thing. I think you had a very good case with Sammy. Beat, how many cases did he already beaten? Yeah, he beat two state cases. Yeah, but they didn't have those tapes. They didn't. The tapes you guys were good had at the those tapes. At the Ravenite. You guys had the tapes. Not for the Ravenite. I'm talking about for the apartment above it. Widow Sorelli. Yeah. You guys had those tapes. When you had those tapes, like DB, he don't call me. When I call him to come in, come on, Carlo. He comes in. You got to come in when you're called. You got to come and he in. He whacked him because he didn't come in. In the basement of the World Trade Center. Point is, they had a good case without the rat. And I think they could have. I think they could have convicted without flipping on it. But you know what? Now where's Sammy right now? Sammy is well. He's been released because he ended up obviously doing five years on the 19 murders that you're talking about. Because he he cooperated for about I think three or four or five years after that on every organized crime case across the country. <laughs> but then. He moved out west, I won't say where, and out there Arizona. got into a little bit of trouble. Arizona, it's public knowledge. It is. Stop it, Got Jim. into a little bit of trouble. He was involved, I think, with his Selling, son and a couple of uh, ecstasy. Ecstasy, and then he, they hit him with a heavy charge. They hit him with, he did 20 years, I think. Wow. I never understood why John Jr. didn't have him whacked. John Jr. stepped away from the mob, or so he says. Publicly. Well, he, I think he did, because he knew damn well he was a very lucky guy. I know him very well since he's a kid, and that was the answer. He three federal cases. Right, and you know, want to know something? Feet don't fail me now. Get the hell out before. Out. While the getting is good, because he's a target, and you know damn well if he does anything, they'll be locking his ass up. And I'm glad that he resigned from the fact. But, you know, you, you're talking about Sammy Garavano again. I still, if he put my dad that away, and that was my father. I don't give a shit what I had to do. I would have somebody who I'd do myself. Now I'm not going to live with you, put my dad away because you were one of them. That's my own feelings. I never killed anybody like that, but I just, I'll say it publicly. If you put my father away, 
You're going to have a heap of trouble from me. I may even take the time. I mean, whack them and say I did it, and I'm doing my time. Yeah. Do it in New York City. You get right out. New York City, you get right out. Well, with the new bail reform, yeah. of course, they wouldn't even be able to hold them on Right. It wouldn't be you know, bail. They wouldn't be bail. <laughs> Starting January 1st. So whack them in New York City and say, I did it. Yeah. Now you go in and you get right out, Carlo. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But so, he's got a family, and he doesn't want to deal with that kind of headaches. I mean, no, know, but I'm just talking about when that happened. Uh, At that point, you know, this is your father, that boom, boom. But Sammy Gravano's argument, counter argument, if there yeah. is one, is that he felt like John. Are you was having a mother for Thanksgiving, Sammy? <laughs> no, I'm not having Come a on, Jim. My wife's got everything planned. We're having the family over, and that's it. Lasagna. No lasagna, lasagna, lasagna with They'll the turkey. Play a little bit of that, because, yeah. you know, that's the way we Italians do it. You get turkey on one side, <laughs> and lasagna. And a little broccoli rob, you of mentioned. Course, I like my broccoli rob. Of course. So then you get involved with the organized crime. So yes. you went right into the organized crime? I did. I was very lucky. I, was, I came in on the tail end into the Gotti case. Mm-hmm. Other guys made that case, but I got a chance to understand what New York La Cosa Nostra was about by spending some serious time with Sammy yeah. while we were prepping well, now for it's, trial. You, you've wiped it out. Right. I would say 95% of organized crime has been diminished. 95%. On the Italian side. Oh, but the Albanians. The Albanians, the Eastern Europeans, the oh, yeah. Russians, the Jamaicans. Oh, absolutely. Trust me. Organized crime no, is alive Italian. and well. The I five you, families. You guys wiped out the Italians. The five families. Your people, you wiped out. Well, we didn't, you know, that's what some of my relatives said. They're like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're going after <laughs> Sicilians? I'm like, but they're doing bad things. <laughs> but you wiped our people out. Well, I don't want to say probably, we wiped them out. We you're so, probably we, the single-headed guy that wiped out most of my family from no. Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> the zips, right? That's Zippity what they call them. Yeah, we used to call them when we were construction zips. The zips. They used to eat broccoli rob sandwiches, and I would. What's I, wrong with I'd, that? I'd buy beers like for fifty cents. The guy uh, for forty-five cents. The guy, where's my nickel change? I say, fuck you, <laughs> you zip. Yeah. So okay. So now, in, uh, so now that all of a sudden something happens in New York in 1993. This guy that looks like Santa Claus. This guy who was blind and looks like Santa Claus was wearing a Santa Claus hat. Well, tell us a little bit about that. So the blind sheet, I'm actually over in the Eastern District of New York at the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is in Cabin Plaza. I'm actually over there working on the organized crime stuff. You got the John Gotti case, which is, was now under appeal. And I had my own cases against the Westchester guys. I worked in the Bronx where... You went you know, after my friends from Westchester, too? Yes, oh, my yes, God. That's yes. the theater and the round crew? Well, you're talking about uh, you didn't go after Louis Greg Dome. De Palma. Oh, Greg De Palma, yep, good pal that of mine. Group, yes. Louis Dome, Louis Premier, Dome. Yes. Remember Louis so, Dome? He he died. Remember the famous picture with Frank Sinatra? Yeah, Louis yes. Dome was in that the, yes. De Palma. Yeah. So I'm over there in, in in Brooklyn at the time in court as a as a cherry brand new FBI agent a couple years in, and I hear news on WABC yeah. that the World Trade Center had there was an explosion in it. So I go rushing over there, meet some of the folks from the New York office. And basically see the smoking, the, 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 the smoldering hole, if you will, yeah. when Al-Qaeda tried to obviously bring the towers down. Weren't yeah. successful the first time. Eight years later, they were a little bit more successful. Were you in the helicopter that. when you had that creep? What was his name? In the helicopter when he was flying over the World Trade Center and he went to jail and he said, we're going to be back. That's a, that was in the uh, Thousand Years of Revenge, the book. Did you ever hear the book? Oh, yeah, that's about Ramsey Youssef. Yes. He was one of yes. them. Right. He was and a- he made the statement that they were going to come back and take the towers down. I got that from pretty 
pretty good source. I was wondering if you were in the helicopter. Was at that not time. was not yeah. there for that, but uh, that was in '93, and then um, I left. I went down and spent some time. I was on a NYPD FBI drug squad that worked up in Washington Heights in the mm. South Bronx. Left and went down to spend four years on the FBI's hostage rescue team. That's when I met John O'Neill when the USS Cole was bombed. We went over there to secure it and, and help with that investigation. Came back to New York just in time for the actual attacks on 9-11. Oh, wow. I was a couple of blocks away well, when the South Tower Now, when that out. happened, were you involved with that investigation? So... At the time, I was on a, a Dominican drug squad that was working in Washington Heights for the FBI. It was an FBI NYPD task force. Against C-11. the Dominicans. Well, not against the Dominicans, against the drug trafficking that was going on in Washington Heights, which, as you no know. No Italians, used, right? No Italians. Well, it used to be Italian and Irish, but no, it's not I mean, Italian and Irish anymore. <laughs> okay. So, so yes, these were, these were heavily Dominican, some Puerto Rican, but we were targeting that area, Washington Heights, where drug trafficking was big. The towers get attacked. I'm literally on my way to Queens that morning. All hands, all hands. All hands on deck. I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. Normally, I would have been in the office that morning when Lenny Hatton and obviously John O'Neill were both killed there. Well, John was working as the director of security of the World Trade Center. One week prior, Bo. One week prior, he takes the job as the head of security at the World Trade Center and was in and out of the building in the South Tower trying to get people in it out of the building. John O'Neill, real American hero. There's a really great documentary at PBS Front. Line, the man who knew uh, for anybody who's listening. Yeah, and he, the man who knew. And he, he, I remember he told me, you know, but I mean, Bin Laden was the guy and they just couldn't get enough because yeah. what they were doing was they had him under surveillance when he was in Pakistan. He was jumping around to Tora Bora and all that. And they had him where they could have taken him out with one of those drones with a Hellfire missile and they didn't get a shake and bake, told him back off. And this O'Neill told me and also Nicoletti told me that they, had zeroed in on this son of a bitch. Who would have known what the what the what that could have if it would have stopped it? Who knows? Who I don't knows? think anybody took it seriously. John O'Neill, no. to your point, Bo, was one of the guys that sounded the alarm early on and said, "Did this you guy- feel as though when it happened right away, your attention went to uh, Bin Laden, or you weren't that close so, to so that?" So I'm on my way to Queens to get my teeth cleaned, as I just said, and my brother-in-law, who worked at the Verizon building in Midtown, calls me and says, "Dude." Are you in the office? Because you're normally down there at 7 o'clock in the morning in the gym. I said, no, I'm going to Queens. There's some smoke coming out of one of the towers. I'm like, wow, that's weird. I continue on. Ah, maybe it was a commuter plane. Small 15 Cessna. 15 minutes later, small yeah. Cessna. 15 minutes later, second building it's hit. Now it's a terrorist attack. I swing around. I come across the, what was then called the Triborough Bridge. Cops have every entranceway into New York City blocked off. Sure the, most sur- the most surreal thing, I throw the red bubble on top of my bureau car, and I cross over into Harlem, and I'm heading down the Harlem River Drive onto the FDR. I passed no cars. 120 miles an hour, all the way down to the Brooklyn Bridge where I bailed out. People were streaming across the bridge. I get out of the car. I had just had surgery on my knee a few weeks earlier. I start hobbling down, to, and, the, and the South Tower. Comes, comes down, out in the and everybody's pouring out the plume of smoke, and you knew it was terrorism. Yeah. You knew it wasn't a commuter plane or a mistake. Yeah. We were under we were under attack. We, uh, my partner Mike Serval and I went down there when when the towers. I was on the radio with Imus on the viaduct coming into the Midtown Tunnel. Now the first one hit. 
There's smoke coming out of there. I actually didn't see the second plane, but I saw the explosion. The explosion was the size of the building. You know, I mean, that big the explosion was when the plane hit the second one. And all of a sudden, they shut the Midtown Tunnel. I showed my badge. I raced through there, no traffic. And we went to the office, and then I says, we got to get down there. And we went to the Army-Navy store. We got some dungarees, NYPD sweatshirts, hopped in my little convertible Mercedes. We shot down there, and we were there for a long, long period of time. But I'll never forget that. And complacency, you know, yeah. comes into people's minds like it can't happen again. Bullshit. It can happen again. But to say that they would have taken these buildings down. Now, you got to back up. I was an iron worker on the original World Trade Center. So when they built the World Trade Center originally, Everyone said, oh, they were built to implode. That's bullshit. What they were built for was aesthetic views where they wouldn't have any columns in the center so they could have full trading floors so you could see across the thing. With building that with the big structural steel on the outside, yeah. how we built it with four kangaroo cranes on hydraulics, they would fly that the insides and put the outside steel around, but the steel was very thick on the outside. So when that plane, when that heat went up to almost 3,000 degrees, yeah. that melted that steel. So when that steel hit those floors, it was like potato chips. Yeah. There was nothing, there was no infrastructure to hold that down. Now you can hit it. this thing with 747s, anything, because you have columns in the center. And anybody says that building was built to, to implode like that, bullshit. That, that building went down like that because of the non-structural steel that was not in the center. All you had was the elevator, uh, uh, elevator construction in the center. So that's why they came down like that. I love the conspiracy theories. Benjamin Franklin said it best. Three people can keep a secret when two are dead. Yeah. There are no conspiracy theories. The same as the same as the Flight 800. Oh, it uh, was it was the military shot it down. Yeah. Imagine having a ship with uh, 500 guys on there and they're all going to keep a secret. I don't think so. That was one of the things. And then it came out. You could Google the conspiracy theory with me. I had done bodyguard work for Saudi Arabia over the years. I had a private security company that was doing security when they would travel around. We had armed guys off-duty cops and shit. So when it comes down, and I owned a piece of the Woolworth building at that time with Steve Whitcoff, all of a sudden it comes out that I was seen in the Woolworth building firing rockets into the World Trade Center. Bo Deedle, who had association with the Saudi Arabians, was seen firing rockets into the World Trade Center. You can look it up. I mean, and these morons, these morons actually put that online that I was seen with handheld missiles firing into Like a stinger missile. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you the truth. You know what? That 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 thought will never go out of my head for the rest of my life, and I'm sure sure yourself. And then so so then you started working. I guess you had to work on that right away, no? So for for about a year or so after that, everybody worked on on, on that case, yes. whether it was the Trade Tower case, whether it was the Shanksville, Pennsylvania piece of it, or the the Pentagon. All piece hands of it. on the FBI. All hands hands on deck. So I did that for about a year or so, and then I went undercover for a couple of years, and I worked on everything from narcotics cases up in the South Bronx to dirty cop cases up in you know Mount Vernon and Yonkers to gambling cases, organized crime cases. Did that for two years. Can I get you to work on a case right now? Right now, we have the biggest corruption problem. Well, I can't go into going on going on in New York City. We have a mayor, his wife, and the head of the Department of Education 
totally, totally corrupt. $850 million. Charlene de Blasio doesn't know what she did with. And they went to nonprofits. We have a, a system. We have the Department of Investigation is told you cannot investigate the mayor, his wife, or the head of the, of the Board of Education. I mean, it's happening right now. I was on the air this morning. I called for the U.S. Attorney, Southern District. Please come into New York City because this guy's getting away. Pay for play. We have the biggest corruption problem right here in New York City. For some reason, it's like everybody's worrying about taking Trump down and no one's worrying about what's going on with the corruption in New York City. It's horrible. And watch what happens with the crime rate, to your point. Once January 1st comes around and this quote-unquote bail reform happens where you cannot hold people for doing things that, you know, without putting up cash bail, they're now going to release these folks out there, recidivists and people that are going to go out there and commit more And here's crimes. another scary thing. I was talking to my partner, Jack Freck. He's the head of all the detective investigators for all five boroughs. And we're just talking about today. If a guy commits a murder, murder. All of a sudden, the government, the DA's office, has to give them within 15 days discovery what was presented to the grand jury. If they do not give it to them within 15 days, that scumbag will be released. I mean, is that scaring anybody? This is what we're facing. So, James, you know, in light of this and your work with actually dealing with criminal enterprises, whether it be drug dealers, whether it be mafia, how would this discovery rules affect how these op, um, groups operate? If they're getting this testimony, who's testifying against them? You know, that seems very easy that they could they're going to be beating the cases. Everybody is entitled to a robust defense. I mean, we'll agree with yeah. that. We understand I, it's an yeah. adversarial system. The government presents their case, and then uh, you're, you're entitled to a robust defense. You're also entitled to discovery, which, to for the listeners to, to know, means that anything that the government has that they're going to use, whether it's a state, whether it's a local. Evidence, the, right. Right. The rules of evidence, you have to give over what we refer to as discovery. So anything that we have that we're going to use use against you, your defense team is entitled to it. So they could The question is timing, and the question is also not being able to hold in jail, or at least make them put up a substantial amount of cash bail. So if somebody kills somebody and you say, hey, it's a million dollars, we know that you're not going to meet that, but a million dollars is substantial, or even lower level stuff for burglars or armed robbers or folks that are committing hate crimes or whatever it is, not having that... That is going Child to Child sex it, abuse cases under 11 years insanity. old. They're going to be released. It's insanity. Now, look, you can never drive crime. You know, I study criminology at St. John's. I'm in a doctoral program, and I teach it there, criminal justice and homeless security. You'll never drive crime down to zero. It's never going to happen because we live amongst people that are just going to break the law. But New York City had driven it down to just incredibly low levels, and you're starting to see the uptick now. It's exactly. going to start moving up because you've got an administration that doesn't feel the same way about supporting the NYPD. You're not taking and guns off the street. Not the gang members are out there. questioning frisk is racist. Not, all these Which other is things. ridiculous. And I'm very surprised at Bloomberg. Look at when you stop. He walked it back. 750,000 stop and frisk. It's a little crazy. Quotas. That's the worst thing with tickets or stop and frisk quotas. But reasonable stop and frisk is a great tool to take guns and to get these these guns off the street yeah. so they don't kill somebody else. And anybody, and I'll tell Bloomberg to his face, who I know, he's full of shit. It, when you say that that is not an effective tool, use the way it's supposed to be used. It's a great tool. That's the point. But the point is this. 
I don't want to hear this anymore. Stop and frisk. That's not the policy. The policy is stop, question, and frisk, which means if I'm a cop with experience in this particular area, and I know that at 2 o'clock in the morning, these certain guys are the ones that associate with armed robberies, and I see a bulge in somebody's sweatpants, and I stop and I ask him a question, and he takes off, that is not targeting minority communities, that is attempting to make them safer. Absolutely. And you, what you say is so understandable, not just to yep. law enforcement, to a person with common sense. common sense. I bring out common sense. And you know who the victims are going to be? The victims are going to be the people in the high crime communities when these little scumbags are walking around armed, robbing people, and the cops ain't going to do anything they because they don't want to be involved. And if they toss somebody, we call it toss. If they see that bulge, that's called toss. If they do that and they videotape them, and even when they find a gun, that was an illegal search. Even though they're taking the gun off, they're going to suppress the suppress it. It's it's terrible, and I'm I love New York City so much, but New York City's going to turn into a sewer. I say it's going to be like that movie, The Warriors, when the gangs take over and the cops are going to be laughed at, and it's a shame. I came from there. I talk to cops every day. They said, Bo, I want to get my 20 years and retire. I don't want to get involved. And that's not the way you be a policeman. A policeman is to protect people. And by confronting someone, questioning them in an area that's high crime, when you just had robberies, what are you supposed to do? Just drive by, wave at them, give them tickets to the uh, Met game like this Big Bird de Blasio wants to do? James Comey, the former FBI director, spoke to this at a speech he gave in, in, at Georgetown um, a few years ago when he was still FBI director. And he called it, he coined it, the Ferguson effect, which means good cops are driving around there going, wow, my spidey sense is tingling. I'm an experienced cop. Right. Something's wrong there. Let me get out and at least, and they go like this. I can't do it because of the viral video age. People are going to pull out 90 yep. cameras. They're going to post the it second up on half whatever. They'll get. Right. And they'll question everything I do. You know what? It's better to be safe. Let's just keep on going. That doesn't make us safer. Well, let me compliment Comey on that. But speaking of Comey. Yes, sir. And uh, speaking of the professionals I've known from the Bureau that I have great admiration for, a lot of the agents I know for a lot of years, including some of the supervising special agents, what has happened to diminish the respect for the Bureau is disgusting. And your friend Comey may have done good there, but what he did and his other jerk off McCabe is just taking my heart and soul out when the FBI and the United States Attorney's Office is used for political uh, platform. What is your feelings about that? Well, you have to have an opinion on that. I do. And, uh, and, and Bo, I think you can tell I'm not a very nuanced guy or a fence-sitting guy, but this, this answer is going to be slightly nuanced. If hold guys- on, hold on. Before you go to that answer, hold that answer. We did have Carter Page on my on our podcast and Carter Page. Naval Academy graduate, so I I can't like that about him. Well, Carter Page, well, you know, uh, uh, Carter Page was on our podcast and we were able to get some really great interview with him. He was the one with the alleged uh, fake warrant 
the FISA warrant. The, the that dossier. Was, right. Now, you can answer that question. Let's yeah. talk about your feelings. Go sure. Ahead. So the FBI has been around for 111 years. I served in it for 25, for a quarter century. I left at age 50. I did half my life in it. I served under four of the eight FBI directors. And you go, well, how's that possible? Well, J. Edgar Hoover was there from 1924 to 1972 for 48 years, so he chewed up a chunk of it. But I served under four of the eight FBI directors. I served under James Comey. James Comey was FBI director for three years, eight months, and five days. And when James Comey was FBI director, I was stationed overseas. I was in Mexico City working as a deputy legal attache and a legal attache. I respected him, seemed like a genuine guy. I didn't like the fact that he didn't like to wear white button-down shirts and, and striped rep ties. I thought, well, he doesn't fit the mold, but I thought he was a decent director. Once I left the FBI, I left in, on January 1st of 2016, and he comes out on May 5th of 2016 and gives that press conference where he basically talks about the Hillary Clinton email case. And then shortly after Trump gets, uh, Trump gets elected, uh, the FBI director gets fired. I think it was May 9th of 2017. The manner in which the president fired him, I thought it was, I went on CNN, my network, and I thought it was disgusting that you dispatch a public servant while he's in LA, LA giving yeah. a speech to bureau employees and he finds out about it by watching the TV that says FBI director's fired and he sends Keith Schiller, former NYPD cop, over to FBI headquarters with the pink slip. And I was livid. But then as more details came out, James Comey testifies a month later to the Senate, either the Intel or Judiciary Committee, and he's answering questions. And they're asking him, well, why didn't you push back on Loretta Lynch when she was the attorney general? And she says, don't call it a investigation. Call it a matter. And he goes, well, maybe somebody else stronger with more intestinal fortitude. You're the six yeah. foot eight inch. FBI man. director. You the man. It. Now, he then man. leaks documents to the New York Times, not by himself, because at least if he did it by himself, I could say, you're a leaker. I look, that, that's beneath you and it's contemptible, but you do it through your attorney. You don't even do it yourself, which makes it even worse. So as things started to happen, my views on James Comey evolved. I used to believe of the eight FBI directors, I ranked them on, on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. that he was the next to the last worst one. Because I said, well, William Sessions got fired by Bush 41 because he did some things questionable with the bureau jet. What James Comey has done in his second act, going around in this book tour in the whole nine yards and now becoming a political surrogate, it hurts the FBI. He continues to hurt the FBI. He talks about how much he loves the organization. Then go away. Stop putting yourself out front and center because you're looking like a partisan. And that's what people accuse you of, Bo, when you were on the job. Wow. Well said. Well said. I do agree 100%. And I do agree the way he was fired was not the right thing no. to do. Also, I would have called him into the White House. 100%. And they would have said like this. Man to man. Here, what you should do is you should resign right now. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to resign. I agree with you 1 million percent. With that, also in the same sequence, with Strzok and his, uh, his girlfriend and all that. Now, Strzok. What's your feelings with this guy? So, did you know him? So, so I didn't. I knew Andy, Andy McCabe. Andy McCabe was a young SWAT guy when I was the New York City FBI SWAT team leader. 45-man team from 2002 to 2005 for New York City's FBI office. Andy was a young guy on the team. I believe Andy's a good man. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a... 
I'm also going to say Andy also works at CNN. We don't ever, we don't cross pollinate. We're not on at the same times, but Andy was a good man when I knew him. My, my criticism of Andy McCabe is the fact that the bureau under Robert Mueller, and I have great respect for Robert Mueller, Vietnam vet, won the Bronze Star with V device. He deserves that. And I think as an FBI director, I didn't agree with everything he did. He was the second longest tenured FBI director. He served for 12 years. Remember President Obama? Got him the additional two-year yep. extension beyond the 10-year term. What Robert Mueller tried to do was there was a problem in the Bureau during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, which was people like me. I got to New York City. I said, I love it here. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to headquarters. This office is the, you know, there are 12,000 FBI agents, 1,200 of them work in New York City. There's room to move up here. I'm not going to headquarters. And Robert Mueller recognized I couldn't get FBI agents to come down to headquarters. So he started to offer young kids, Bo, with no experience, three, four, five, six years in the FBI, where you don't even know where the coffee machine is or the bathrooms. And he says, come to headquarters. I'll pay you a bonus and I'll allow you to skip a couple levels, get promoted and then go back to the field as a boss. Mm, which you didn't that's how to what, wipe your own ass. That's what happened. So people like Strzok and McCabe to an extent and other people, a lot of other people, well, took advantage fast, of yeah. it and they went down there and what I call it was James Comey then who took over for Robert Mueller then was afforded this young group of these young kids who were now making senior level decisions. So the Hillary Clinton email case, the Russian collusion investigation, mm. They weren't running the field where they should have been. It wasn't the New York office, the Washington field division, the L.A. office, the, the Miami office. They were run by headquarters. They were run by young, callow, inexperienced kids who became sycophants to the FBI director. Wow. But, you know, I got to give Mueller credit. I do, too. Mueller did a very intense investigation, and he didn't politically use any politics. 100%. Or motivated. Look, say what you want to say. Mueller, as far as I'm concerned, if he was caught up in that whole thing with Comey about to make the president look bad or take the president down, it would have came out. He didn't. He brought the facts out. My compliments to Mueller giving the information that was I found agree. and the information that he could prove not in the windows like struck and all this yep. other bullshit. I got to give I got to give him all the credit in the world to Mueller. As far as Comey goes, he turned, he just destroyed my FBI. He made the FBI agents and the hardworking FBI agents, men and women who are out there working every day, have to be tainted by the, his bullshit. He should just go away already. And yeah, that's I, it. I agree with you on both those, Bull. Robert Mueller, I have great respect and affinity for. I protected him the first time he made a trip to Afghanistan. I was still a member of the hostage rescue team, took him over there and acted as his bodyguard. When he came back to New York. He had relatives in New York City, and I was running the New York SWAT team. I protected him. Great respect for the man, and I've said it all along. I've said it on CNN numerous times. Whatever he found in the Trump investigation, he was going to step up, and he was going to go, here's what I found, or here's what I didn't, didn't find. find. Right, and I say Comey that. Comey is a different animal, and here's yeah. why I say that. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. He was out in Aspen, Colorado about a year and a half ago. He's interviewed by Katie Couric at the Aspen Ideas Festival, and she says to him, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want you? How do you want to be remembered? James Comey says, "I really hope 
to be forgotten. This was on the 83rd stop of his book tour, and this was then going forward. He's now he's now being a political surrogate for Democrat candidates. He's now out there attacking the president back and forth on Twitter. You just said you want to be forgotten, but every time you come up in the news, you damage the agency that I love and I bleed blue and gold. Stop it. You're so on, and you know, when you go and Take Holder, for instance, Eric Holder. He's talking about running for president. He run for dog collector. Eric Holder was involved with being the attorney general. I mean, political. He was such a political uh, puppy dog. And even with the uh, with the Mexicans, with the uh, with the guns. Fast and furious. Fast, Fast and, and furious. furious. Every aspect of that that he was involved was all politically motivated. I hate to mix politics with my attorney general or my FBI, you guys are apolitical. apolitical. There's no, I don't care who you vote for. That's your personal thing. You should never, ever be able to bring that out, who your political affiliation is. I'm not interested. Don't become an FBI agent. Don't work for the U.S. Attorney's Office if you want to be political. Whether it's Trump in there, whether it's Obama in there, your office, the FBI, and the Attorney General's office should be non- Political. Bo, you're talking about a period of time during Attorney General Holder's tenure where obstruction of Congress was championed, where pushing back on, you know, the White House was considered you can't do that, where stonewalling, not providing documents or saying, hey, this is covered by executive privilege, that was okay. It's not okay anymore because when you hate the person in the White House and you hate the person now who's the head of the the uh, Department of Justice, uh, William Barr, who was the 77th Attorney General under Bush 41, and now the 85th Attorney General under this president, now the rules are different. Wasn't it? Wasn't it Eric Holder who famously said? Yeah, I, I consider myself to be Barack's wingman. I'm there with my boy. That's a direct quote from a political this article. This is the attorney general. Can you general. imagine that? And now so now if you mind. have to investigate him, how in the hell do you investigate your wingman? You I can't. mean, he said it all. And then, then they held him in contempt, Eric Holder. Remember, they held Didn't him in contempt. Didn't change anything. Didn't do anything. I mean, it's disgusting. It's insane. And it's, I just feel hurt for the agents out there that want to be and do their job non-political and 100%. want to just do their jobs and now they're, they're tainted with it. Every FBI agent now when they do an investigation, you know damn well the defense people are going to be bringing them in yep. and then, well, we saw your uh, old bosses there, how they were corrupted. You must be corrupted just like them. Make no mistake about it. You know, I was an FBI agent for 25 years. We have political views. We're entitled, just like NYPD cops, there's 35,000 yeah. of them. They're entitled to political views. You cannot let those political views bleed into your work. And when you read the struck page text messages, it is impossible Horrible. to read those and go, oh, come on, folks, poo-poo. They were able to separate their personal lives from their professional lives. It sure didn't see it because I read Every single text message, I've written op-eds about them. It's hard to look at those and not think to yourself, there were people, now look, do I believe that they change things, you know, uh, in a material way? No, there's too many levels at the FBI. I believe there was enough stop gaps there. But they sure as hell appeared to want to, Bo. Yeah, my big question again, Carlo, is... Where the hell is the attorney general's report? In that attorney general report, it's been working on it for a year and a half. 
The Attorney General's the ins- report? Inspector General. Uh, the IG I mean, I'm sorry. The IG report. They've been working on for a year and a half. That's going to have a lot of smoking gun there because it's going to show, if it's done right, is going to show the uh, the FISA warrant, how it was obtained, how it was false statements were given. I'm an ex-detective. When I used to have to get a warrant, I'd have to swear to it that I had an informant that advised me of this, that, under perjury. So you're going to have some criminal referrals on that, son of a bitch. You got to. I mean, if you fraudulently go in there and swear to something, he'll tell you. If you're an FBI agent, you fraudulently go in there for a warrant, and then you can show that you fraudulently got it, you're open for what? Get locked up. So that, you know, not to step on you, Carl, but that Inspector General's report is due on December 9th. Michael Horowitz, who's the Inspector General, who's appointed under President Obama, is scheduled to testify in front of the Judiciary Committee for the Senate on December 11th. Now, they've already started leaking pieces of it out, and I think it's so that it gets tamped down. Right. It's trying to ease it in. Now, we know that there was an FBI lawyer, meaning somebody from DOJ was assigned to the FBI at FBI headquarters, who was let go. He's been separated from the Bureau. And there's been a criminal referral to John Durham, who's also the U.S. attorney for, I believe, the state of Connecticut, who is investigating this. There will be some criminal referrals. Do I think that there'll be a cabal detected? Do I think they're going to find that Comey or McCabe or any of those people like conspired to try to defeat Trump? I don't, Bo, but I do believe there were a number of mistakes made on the FISA application you're talking about for Carter Page, and there were a number of things where people might have edited 302s, that, which is the FBI's yeah. testimonial documents, that should not have had anything to do with the edit process of a testimonial document. Yeah. You know, I could say I know Donald Trump 40 years. He's a lying narcissist, yep. but he's my president, and I yep. voted. I gave him money, and he's trying to do good things. His way of doing things is not something that people respect. He's a very grush, hard guy, and that's the way he's always been. I called him a effing liar to his face. You know, I mean, I tell it like it is, but yet he's trying to do stuff, make us feel strong around the world. Economy's great. Jobs are great. He's the, my guy who I'm going to vote for president again because I know what he's trying to do. His worst thing he did, and if he was sitting here right now, I'd say, Mr. President, you screwed up. Day one of getting sworn in, you should got rid of all that crap that was in there. These people hate you. And why would you have them in the White House or anywhere near your inner circle? And that's the problem with all the leaking and all that. And every aspect of the, of the, of the uh, Attorney General's office, get rid of them. You're the president now, like he did with the Navy SEAL, who I know, Gallagher. I've had, been at dinner with Gallagher, with Bernie Kerrick. And uh, I like what he did with Gallagher. Gallagher is a true American hero. People don't realize, when they were out there, when the ISIS was cutting people's heads off, Americans' heads off, putting them on poles, raping little nine-year-old, eight-year-old girls, cutting them up, doing everything to them. Uh, There was not too much affiliation with respect for human rights at that point. So this guy here took a picture with a dead... If that guy had a bomb on him, would have blown up some of the other soldiers, other Marines, it would have been okay. My point is what the president did said, you had eight combat tours over there, you have two bronze stars, you're an American hero, so you screwed up once. You should get a a play for screwing up once, not take his life away from him for being active over there for eight 
deployments in the military over there. Give a guy a play. You're giving everybody else play. You're opening up the jails with murderers. I locked up the guy that killed 10 people. I think he's the mayor of Baltimore right now. And what I'm saying is what the president did was his prerogative to give him a play, an opportunity. And I side with it 1 million percent. I understand the codes of ethics and all, but there's certain things that you can do to not reward, but to let someone know we acknowledge your your service to this government and this country, and we're going to give you a shot. I, I understand your patriotism, and I understand your defense of, uh, of, of military wars, and I certainly appreciate it. Look, I served in the Army in the Cold War. I didn't go to Afghanistan into a combat zone until I was in the FBI, but I was assigned to SEAL teams. Yeah. And while I was on the hostage rescue team, I went through part of their BUDS, their basic underwater demolitions. I have great respect and affinity for the SEALs. I understand it's the president's prerogative. It certainly is. He can fire ambassadors. He can fire U.S. attorneys. And it, it should be unquestioned. I mean, obviously, unless there's some crime fraud piece of it. But I understand that. But we do have to hold. And I don't know all the details about Master Chief uh, Gallagher's situation. I mean, I've certainly read about it, but I don't know all the details. But we do have to hold our worries accountable. Now, whether or not the president looked at this and knows something I don't know and says, hey, listen, he was not given a fair shake. But I go back to when well, I was. Well, you know, the trial, the trial was yes. that that prosecutor was released because yes. of his overaggressiveness and his uh, the way they tried the guy. Right. They, they went in there like a locomotive on top of it. And I, I know where you're going with this, but I'm, you know, the other side of the coin is that it is something that you have to show some compassion to someone who's given their whole life. hundred percent. And I agree with you. And I understand how tough it is. You're in a war yeah. zone and you're, you're fighting against an enemy that and has no and, rules. And your partners are getting blown I, up. I, I by get a, it. I, but that was the argument back in Vietnam yeah, during well, the Mili massacre when they looked at Lieutenant yeah. Callie and he says, hey, these villages, they're harboring the Viet Cong who are killing my folks. I know. So I'm going to kill villagers. Now, I'm not suggesting that's what Gallagher I did. I see both sides, too. I know that. But we do, as warriors, have to be held to a different I do see both sides. Now I'm going to get a little light because oh. this is something that we have our opinions about. And I appreciate your opinion. And you have to appreciate my opinion from where I've met the guy. Yep. The guy's a little bit of a nothing. I mean, he's I mean, he's not a big guy. He's like five, six. Seals aren't yeah, big guys. But, they're but, tough as nails, yeah, but they're tough small as, guys. Tough as, tough as yeah. nails. And I was out to dinner with him and his wife with Bernie Carrick. And I was very impressed with the guy family, love and father and all that. And I just thank the God that he's going to be able to be Thanksgiving. And they put him in, in jail. And they, uh, I don't get guys with murders. I can't get them in fucking jail. But now here's another thing is Vinnie Viola, Mr. West Point. You know, I, I was one of the guys that was putting him up for the uh, secretary of the army when Trump was elected. You know who Vinnie Viola is? If you're a West Point guy, you better I've know heard who he the is. name. I did. I have. Well, he's the guy that he's a multi-billionaire friend of mine who is very successful. He won the Kentucky Derby, his horse. He just won the Breeders' Cup. Vinny Viola is one of the guys who's on the board of West Point, and he's one of the guys of the uh, alumni there. You look up his name, Vinny Viola. I thought you would know him, being that you're a West Point guy. Come on. Yeah, but I graduated in the bottom of my West Point class. We graduated 1,003. I graduated 975. You did not get the cream of the crop here today, Bo. <laughs> no, I did. You got get, a regular guy. I did. Get, I like to break your chops, but I have a lot of respect for I you. I appreciate it. And I think you know that and I, I break did. chops with everybody I, and if I had Donald, excuse me President Trump here, I'd break his freaking balls too <laughs> and I'd say Donald can't you say like I'm sorry no. can't you sit at the fire Impossible at Thanksgiving to. and have the fire go and say ladies and gentlemen here's what's good 
Jobs for black Americans are the highest ever. The economy is the highest ever. Jobs are this around the world. Our military is the strongest. We're respected. We're going after trade deficit with China. And this is what we've done. But I have to say something else. I owe an apology to the Mexican people. All Mexican families are not drug dealers no. and rapists. And I want to say I'm sorry to the good, hardworking Americans. I wish Mexican. he would. Yeah. If he did that, he'd walk into the... He'd like walk said, into the, he's incapable of doing I know. That. It's so... Yeah, I'd like to grab him. I know. I don't want to assault the president, but I'd like to grab him and shake Secret him. Secret Service would have a problem Shake him. I'd like to shake him and say, Mr. President, show humility. Show yeah. compassion. You you would have so many more people would be supportive, but he's just the way he is. But his idea is, I've gotten this far. Let's face it, this is a guy from left field right. becoming the president right. of the right. United States. He says, don't tell me, Bo, how to do it. I know what I'm doing, but I don't want to see him lose. But if he showed that humility and compassion, man, he would he would walk right into the White House again because he's doing great things for this country. Yeah. But the only thing is, I don't like the division. I say the same thing. I look at it like most folks that are, are, are prior law enforcement, we're conservative. It's just the way yeah. that it is. And, and I talk to a bunch of my friends at CNN. I have a lot of good friends at CNN, really, really good people. And our politics may be different. But I look at it like this. As a conservative, I, I know struck- your boss very well. Mr. I Zucker? Saw, I saw him at the Yankee he's a good game. Man. He, he had his two sons. I was yeah. going to go at him and he says, these are my sons. I'm like, no. Leave me alone. I respect that. And but, I, I know Chris Como too, Fredo. I know him very well. Uh, I, I will say this. Chris is one of my closest friends. I like CNN. I love the guy. When you see I, Chris, I literally love the you guy. You tell him both sends his. I absolutely I love will. him too. But what his brothers doing? What his brothers doing is criminal. Who had the blood? You got to separate that amongst yeah. friends. But for for conservatives, you have to give us an option. If you say that you can't vote for Trump, and then you put somebody on the other side who professes socialism is the way we need to go, you're going to pay slavery reparations, <laughs> open borders, illegal <laughs> aliens are going to get health care. No, and we no believe, borders. And we believe in third trimester abortion, why can't we get independents and conservatives to vote for our guy or gal? And I sit there and I go, you give us no option. See, I would love to go back three years ago when I, I was a Fox News contributor 12 years. Roger Ailes was a good mm-hmm. friend of mine, and I certainly could would have been able to bring you right over to Fox. And the, the thing is, we had a great thing going there until the little Murdoch's little sons took over, and now they're trying to change Fox. And the only one they can't change is my friend Sean Hannity, because he brings in most of the uh, most of the money into the station, Ratings. and they're not that stupid. Yeah. They can't get rid of Sean Hannity, but. You would have been a great Fox I appreciate guy. it. But I have to say this, Bo. CNN has been good to me. They've mm. given me an opportunity. I never looked to go into TV, and they found me out of nowhere. And they I said, hope they're paying you at least 300000 a year. They take care of me. 300000 a year. They take, care, they year. take care of me. They Trust me, they take care of me. But the one thing is they try to keep me between the white lines on law enforcement matters. So if there's a shooting, if there's a terrorist yeah. attack, things like that, that's my wheelhouse. I don't do politics there. because oh, you don't nobody, do politics. Nobody that watches TV that wants to see breaking news, there's a terrorist attack or a mass shooting, yeah. nobody cares who Jimmy Galliano voted for, yeah. including but, my own family. But I said to Zucker, and I said to Chris, I says, you know, Chris, you got a good show at 9 o'clock. You're getting, your ass, you're getting your ass beat by showing every night. It's but, ticking up, though. But you know what, Chris? You should have it. Another side of it. Someone could be the other side of it. I said, I would do your show with you. I'm not doing Fox anymore. I've been banned from Fox. So you'd come to CNN? I would come to CNN on Chris's show. He should have 
another side of it. Absolutely. Instead of all one direction. I told Zucker, I'd come over there with Chris. And you know what? It's good for people to see both sides and listen to what we just talked about right now. Imagine having this discussion on CNN. I think he tries to do that. There, there are people, some of my good friends at CNN, like Scott Jennings, who worked in the Bush 43 White House. There are other guys that they have there that they do bring on. To, no, I'm to talking do about that. even in the poli- I have no problem with the political arena. You can go there. I, I can I go, go there. there I ran for mayor this frigged up city. I got three votes. But the point is that. Friends and family? Yeah. Vote for him? Yeah, Carlo voted and I voted. <laughs> uh, the thing was, the reason, the obvious reason, my whole history of what happened to me. This mayor had three lawyers in my courtroom. They wouldn't allow me to be a Republican, Democrat, any line at all. It's a whole other story. You talk about sure. communism. I mean, it's something. My story of running for mayor is something when people hear it, they go, impossible. The mayor had his general counsel, two other lawyers in Supreme Court, a court of appeals, and appellate court. This is what I faced, not to get on any line. Yeah. He was afraid for me to be a Democrat against him. If you talk about feeling like, you know, your rights were just taken out from under you. And what happened was I checked Democrat and Independent, which I talked to the Board of Election head. Oh, this happens all the time, Bo. No problem. We'll send you an affidavit. Get it notarized. We'll put you right back on the Democratic line. I sent it in. I get a call from David Goodman from the New York Times. Oh, Bo, you're not, you're not on any line. They never allowed me to have a, a line, never allowed me to go back on a line. And on top of it, the judge. Not even independent? Nope. On top of it, the judge there said, you know what? I'm not even going to look at anything. I have my mind made up. De Blasio's general counsel was there with two of de Blasio's lawyers in my courtroom. She goes, my mind's made up. You're not a Democrat. And I was a lifelong Republican. You're not a Republican. You have no line. You got no home. <laughs> and then when I tried to find myself on the, uh, on the ballot, all the candidates, including the guy who, a black guy who hijacked a plane, got more votes than me. He was on the left side. And I'm looking for my name. I couldn't find it. On the bottom right. Some Chinese guy is above me. Can we say Chinese? Yeah, we'll say Chinese because he was Chinese. He's above me, and I was buried on the bottom. I couldn't find my own freaking name on the ballot. How in the hell is anybody going to vote for me? And that was the most disgusting thing. And our story will be told one day of what this guy de Blasio. You know when I'm going to get really good feeling? When they indict him and his wife for corruption. I'm going to have a very big party. Carlo, start planning the party. Let's do it at Sparks. Let all the people in before you whack anybody, okay? In right. December. But we, <laughs> we, we glossed over uh, the sparring with Sammy the Bull. Sure. Can, you, can we get into that real quick? Sure. So, 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 so that story, it's a, it's a short one. But, again, the reason why I got sent down down south to where we had a safe Well, you're house. a big man. Sammy's well, little I was a little Well, I was a little thinner back in those days. I've enjoyed my post-bureau no, career. But you look put together. Well, Sammy's well, like was, two foot tall. But Sammy was in great. He was boxing at the time at Gleason's gym when he got when he got arrested. I mean, he was at Gleason's oh, gym working out uh, all the time. Gleason's that's why gym. he was fucking with he me. He was, and he was a big time boxer, and he, he he was a he was a tough guy in the mob. But the only reason I got sent down it wasn't because I was some great agent. I was the only guy in the squad that had no responsibilities because I hadn't been there when the case started. So my boss calls me in right after Sammy decides he's going to come on board, and they take him out of the MDC, the Metropolitan Detention Center, down in Lower well, Manhattan. Well, Jim was involved. 
Fox was right involved. With yes, Jimmy. he was. But I mean, he was so many layers above me at the well, time. I was, was a brand new. He was telling me he was talking. I was more. right out of Quantico. But my boss calls me and says, "Hey, I'm sending you down. You're going to do the first three months at the safe house with the bull and HRT, the FBI's hostage rescue team, is going to handle security. You're not going to be armed. You're going to be living inside with the guy, basically, kind of. Where was know, he living at that point? Well, you know, and I think it's it's public knowledge now, but he was yeah. kept down at the FBI Academy in Quantico. We had a place there that was called the Defector Suite from during the Cold War, which means any time oh, so really high-level KGB yeah. guys during the Cold War defected, the Bureau on the counterintelligence side would bring them in and house them in this Defector Suite. That's where we ended up keeping Sammy. So I fly down with another agent, and then the folks that were interviewing Sammy would fly in and out, the prosecutors, the agents on the case, and I was just basically there to basically keep him company. So we're watching TV. This is back in the days during the Betamax and the VHS tape. So I'm running to the local blockbuster to get movies and we're watching movies. And he was like, you know, Bo, that was his thing. He called me, you know, called everybody who's close to him, Bo. He goes, hey, Bo. Son of a bitch, you got that from me. <laughs> he goes, Bo, you know what I really love to do? I'd love to be able to do some workouts. Would you work out with me? I'm like, sure. This is in the days before CrossFit. But I mean, I was still in great shape at the time. I'm like, sure. Push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. We'll make a little pseudo gym here in the in the in the main room right so then a little while ago he goes you know the thing that really sucks is i just i can't box anymore and i was at gleason's gym and that's why i said you know i just graduated from the fbi academy a couple months ago and i know in the gym where they lock up the the sparring gloves I'll go get him. He goes, you could do that? I said, yeah, and I'll get some. I said, at the, at the Marine Corps store, I'll buy a couple of mouthpieces. We'll boil them on the, on the stove. We'll make them whatever. And he goes, you sure that the HRT guys are going to allow that? I'm like, look, as long as you don't have a weapon on you, we're good. So I went and got the gloves, came in there. We would spar. And you know how it is with guys, Bo, especially Italian guys. Hey, guys, we're doing this at 50%. Sure, 50% is yeah, good, right. right? Yeah, right. You hit somebody in their nose, Carlos, there's yeah. no 50%. No, you no. hit me in my nose. So we started we started sparring, and then the HRT guys would come in and watch, and like for weeks. You we, didn't have a ring. It just Not floor. a ring. We cleared out. It was a big living room yeah. area. Then I had a bedroom that they were able to lock me into at night. They had a bedroom that they double locked what him mean, into they at locked night. you into your bedroom? They locked me in my bedroom, so he couldn't come across and come in. He was locked into his, and then I could throw the bolt on mine. <laughs> but I always tell the story. It was funny because, you know, they're like, okay, no weapons see anything sammy the first week is like dude i gotta get some italian food and we're a long way from arthur avenue what can you do for me i'm like well i'll run to the giant supermarket which is big here in virginia in quantico and i'll pick up they don't have black rob but i can pick up you know i'll find some some eggplant rail sauce oh you're not getting rail sauce down there you're getting ragu <laughs> or chef boyardee so i go get it and we're literally in the kitchen one night and we're cutting things up and sammy is telling me about when he killed his brother-in-law remember his brother-in-law was killed chopped up into pieces the wife's oh, dog as you were chopping he was telling you how he chopped right up and i'm looking over there i'm going man we've figured out all the you security let him have a pieces knife in of this, this but he's using one of these small well it wasn't a serrated edge it wasn't a spark steakhouse knife it was, a, it was a butter knife but i'm like hearing the story as he's cutting through it so long story short we did do some boxing and the, and the famous story that, that jim fox yeah. pulled me aside one time and said that was a great story was they end up flying him down to new york to make an appearance now remember the case was in brooklyn it was in the eastern district yeah. they bring him in front of the judge he was in brooklyn MCC? down in brooklyn no well they didn't keep him down there they flew him in for the appearance this was a pre-trial appearance they bring him in for an appearance he's standing there and he's got a little mouth under his eye <laughs> and the judge i leo glasser famous yeah, judge the judge looks over and says mr gravano 
Well, what, you happened, beat- what happened to your face? And he says, they're trying to beat stuff out of me that I didn't do. <laughs> your Honor, he has this little mouse under his eye. He said that? So that yes. It was a great line. And, and the guys, the agents that were with him told me about it later. They're like, dude, guy's got a black eye. Now, look, Sammy was a tough guy. I'm not in any way trying to intimate that I took him apart. But I was 26 years old. I was you a young guy. Him. Tell us the no, truth. I, you I beat the shit. I can't even say that. Call him straight face. He beat the shit out of him, uh, and look, that's it. I was, I was a decent. But boxer. he actually said that he lied. He actually, and you were his friend. He did with a <laughs> wink. He did with a wink. He says they're trying to beat confessions out of me, and they all got to laugh over that. Oh, so, so the judge knew he was jerking around. The judge knew he was he was pulling it, pulling his leg. But wow. yes, yeah, so that was my experience with with the bull. And I say all the time, people go, "Well, how could you like?" I mean, here's an awful guy. Yeah, Yes, he did bad things, but to get to the position he got to, I think he was 46 when he became the underboss of the, of the Gambino crime family. You got to be kind of likable. I mean, to become a boss or become oh, an underboss, you, you got to be, be. Everyone's fucking scared of you. That's exactly well, what it that, was. There's that. Fear too. of him was more than like. Fear, I guarantee you. I agree with you 100. percent Well, I've you? spoken to him in years, but Jim, uh, I just want to know one question: Is he spending Thanksgiving with you and your family? He is not going to be, but you were invited, and you were invited. <laughs> uh, but I got to tell you something, Jim. This was really interesting, and we have a lot of mutual friends, we and do. I have a lot of great admiration for yes. you, for and for the bureau. And I'll say right out: a couple of bad pieces of garbage does not taint the bureau as I know it. So and, true. You know, and everyone should be proud. I go back with Cindy Copler and sure. uh, and uh, what's the name? The other one there, the the movie, and vegan, and vegan, yep. and oh, all of them, all of them, Good all of them, of all of them. I have a lot of guys. We could go over names or names, but I really uh, want to wish you and your family a happy thank Thanksgiving you. and a happy Christmas. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. How can people get in contact with you? So I'm on Twitter at James A, which is my middle initial Galliano, G A G L I A N O. You can certainly reach out to me there, and and I'm online. You can Google me, and, and there's an email address if you if you need anything. But thanks for. Good, and we're going to reach. Where, where's your first book coming? Well, um, come on, everybody's I, got books. You're 100 percent right. As soon as this doctorate is done at St. John's, I you got are about, actually going to get a doctorate. I got about a year and change left. Oh. I'm just starting the dissertation in Bo. Because that professor you, bullshit don't impress me. Doc, <laughs> PhD impresses me. Don't forget, I graduated bottom of my West Point <laughs> class. So if I get a doctorate, anybody can. All right, so now. We do something every week, and we do something that pisses us off. It's called Punk of the Week. Punk of the Week. So we ask, what's bothering you right now? Oh, I got what, one. A person, place, thing, issue, what bothering you? Miles Garrett, the defensive end for the Cleveland Browns, <laughs> that got in a fight with Mason oh. Rudolph, pulled his helmet off, banged him in the what head, was going to get suspended indefinitely, and then privately behind closed doors after nobody heard anything like this claim that he was called a racial epithet. Son of what a bitch. breaks my heart right now is that when everybody's a racist, nobody is, and with all the proliferation of racial hoaxes, it hurts, it divides our country, oh. and for somebody to do that, to try to weasel themselves out of something that they did that they should be punished for, nice. that's my punk He's of the He's the point. Wow, I like that. What about you, Carlo? You don't like when I do sports, but that was a good sports one. Yeah. Uh, I think Tom Steyer, the guy running for president, self-funding, he's on every channel. He's got a zillion commercials. He says he's taking on Wall Street. Where do he make his money? He's a All right, he's that's your punk of the week. Well, my punk of the week has to go to my governor. My governor, who I knew his dad very well, is just an embarrassment. And if he wants to throw it off his plate, it's on his plate. And there's still time, governor, for you to re-look at this issue before this 
kills people, and the blood of those people will be on your hands, and I'd like to facilitate and work for the family who were killed by one of these credence that is released by this new implementation of this criminal reform. Mr. Governor, please, please stop this before innocent people are killed. And that's my bunk of the week. Well, gentlemen, thanks for having me. It's been a privilege. How do you get us, Carl? All right. You can find us. We're on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Dilo on Twitter and at the real Bo Dilo on Instagram. Uh, we appreciate our fans. Special shout out to Deborah from New Jersey. She wrote a great email to us. You can email us all your questions, comments. Send us a, a, anything uh, you know positive. Let's keep it positive. Uh, we're at One Tough Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we got a great December lined up for you. Great guests coming in for the holiday season. No more Kreskin, all right? No more Kreskin. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll see you next week. All right, bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.